We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you today? I am so good today because I have just stepped into my walking pad era. What is a walking pad era? I got sucked in by TikTok. These people I follow who have a walking pad. It's like a slow treadmill basically, but it doesn't have like the front stand thing. It's like just just the catwalk. <laughs> and I saw all these people on TikTok who work from home And they walk like a marathon in a day. And I thought, I do work from home. I work a lot from my computer and from my phone. And now that I'm more time poor than ever, I was finding that although I love exercise and I still want to prioritize exercise, I was finding it really hard to fit into some days. And I was like, why don't I just have the opportunity to combine them both? So we got it set up late last night. Wouldn't recommend it (laughs) late in the evening because then your kids want to help and get into their Bob the Builder situation. And anyway, but I bought myself a standing desk and one of these walking pads. And this morning while Pearl had her morning nap, I walked for an hour. I did five kilometers and I did all the things that I would normally do when she had that first nap, like listened to today's episode, did my emails, edited a reel, all this kind of thing. But I did it while walking. That's pretty impressive. It was so, so good. And I was worried because the office is upstairs. It'd be super loud downstairs. Nick was filming a recipe downstairs. He could not hear me at all. I just think it's a bit of a hack and you can move it like when you come I'm not going to make you record and stand on the treadmill Thank with God me but you can move it out of the way and then just you know use the desk as normal and I do think that if you're finding that you're time poor and you work from home and you work from a computer a lot it is a bit of a hack in terms of efficiency. See for me I couldn't think of anything worse because (laughs) I go to exercise to relieve and get stress out of my brain. So if I combined walking and working at the same time, one, I'd trip and fall and break my neck. And secondly, I just don't think that is what would be beneficial for me. So I genuinely have to break it up. No, and I do want to say that I'm going to be very conscious that I don't let it just replace 
any exercise. Like I'm not saying that walking on this is the same as like getting outdoors and going for a walk. But like this morning I hadn't booked into any class because I was like, I'm going to go for a walk and listen to the podcast when I wake up. And then it was raining. So I was like, instead of just being like, okay, boohoo, too sad, not going to do anything. I just did them at the same time, but at home. So I do get what you mean. I don't think it's necessarily mentally healthy to the only time you exercise be while you're working at the same time. I'm seeing it more as like just a little bonus to keep the blood flowing while I work. And I didn't think I was going to be able to type at the same time. And I could. It's just... Look, I'm just saying if you've been considering it out there and you think that that's something, you know, for you it's your worst nightmare. For me it was something that I thought sounded fun. I've really enjoyed it. I'm day one. Speak to me in a week. It might be gathering dust in the corner. (laughs) But day one and we're happy. (laughs) How are you? I am good. I What have I done in the past week? I feel like I've done a lot. I feel like I've done a lot. School holidays has commenced and the house has been turned upside down. So I'm just sort of letting it go. That's such a liar. I've been cleaning the kitchen <laughs> the whole morning. <laughs> Fucking liar. But, you know, like there's beds out in the lounge room. There's bloody shit, not literal shit, but like just crap everywhere. And I this is where I've got to really learn to go you know what let it go let yeah, it go but it's hard let like it I am always like surrender surrender you've got three kids now and last night I just got to the stage where I was like how can I clean so much yet every single angle I turn on there is just a pile of crap there like how it's just never ending unless just no one lived there it's always a mess and I'm trying to be like there's more important things spend time with your kids the laundry doesn't matter like people still have to wear some freaking clothes I know and they've got to be relatively clean like I just pulled out five (laughs) different outfits from the girls school bags and they were all either moldy or dirty I'm like okay there's the fine line I probably need to wash them like that's the extent I'm at the moment but I will get on top of it eventually but the good thing is there's no time frame anymore we just do what we can do when we can do it but whoever said oh you know there's going to be one day where you know you won't have mess everywhere and tiny feet and like yes I understand but there comes a time where too much of that is something I'm never going to miss ever. I'm never going to miss all the crap and fall over it and be happy with that. So that's I think it's fine to have perspective about, you know, one day it will end and you won't hear the pitter-patter of the feet or you won't be kicked in the uterus while your child is taking up half your bed at night. And I get all of that. That is sad. But it doesn't take away from how relentless it can feel at the time. If it's not the car, it's a house. If it's not the house, it's fucking someone else's house. So the point is go to someone else's house and you won't have any mess. It's a lie. You'll always have mess. <laughs> I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Now we've lost the plot. <laughs> Do we have any mum hacks? Yeah, buy a walking pad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is it rude or fabulous? You're laughing, but this is about to become my entire personality. <laughs> I know. So everyone, is it a rude or fabulous that Sophie has a walking pad? We will put it on the Facebook poll. Okay, so we got a real fabulous that came in. <laughs> Facebook targeted ads after listening to Beyond the Bump episode where Sophie talks about Nick giving himself pink eye. The Facebook ad is mini condoms on your fingers <laughs> so you don't get pink eye. 
Look at this. I know you guys can't see it. This we'll is what share came it up. on our page. You could just <laughs> use a condom, I guess. You could if you've got them around. I don't know who's buying these ones, but um, good so on. So what? They're Facebook. they're teeny tiny gloves just for each finger, and they're specifically for putting suppositories in. Yeah, they're disposable latex finger cots. Oh my god! There's a product. For, I mean, there I is. know that I just said I've got a slow walking <laughs> treadmill in my study, but there really is a product for everything. But like, why not? <laughs> this just is wear the consumerism gloves? at its absolute peak. We were so close to like just having the glove. You'd think instead of cutting them all off, you <laughs> would just wear a fucking glove. Oh my god! Oh, oh shit! What's next? Let's get into today's episode. We chatted with the incredible Casey Edwards again. We spoke to her maybe a month or so ago about raising girls who like themselves and boy mamas. We heard from you and you said, when is the boy episode coming? So she has recently released the book, Bringing Up Boys Who Like Themselves. So we asked her all of your questions about raising, you know, strong, empathetic, boys that love themselves so or like themselves there's enough boys out there that love themselves (laughs) (laughs) I really love this chat obviously I love every chat whenever I say this but I learned something out of this boy chat and it was relating back to a situation where I think that we're always as parents wanting to wrap our kids up in cotton wool and we always want to like fight for them and what she was saying is it doesn't actually teach them resilience. So we had an issue with one of my daughters who didn't like, you know, walking into the school gate and she gave me a hack which you'll actually listen to in here or a tip and I actually took on that tip And the next day, lo and behold, she was completely fine because I gave her the confidence that she needed. Just all she needed was a bit of self-reassurance from me and she walked in there without an issue. So I really, really loved it. Yeah, as much as this is directed about boys, I've probably implemented just as many things from this as I did from the girl chat, even yeah. though I have three girls. Um, so it really is for all parents and, you know, raising kids in general that like themselves, but with a more targeted approach towards boys. So we hope you enjoy. And just to let you know, we are actually going on a two week podcast break after this episode. So do not fear next Tuesday and the Tuesday after when you do not hear our angelic voices in your ears we're just having a little mid-year break and we will be back we will be back hello Casey thank you so so much for coming back on the podcast today for those who haven't listened to your other episode with us are you able to tell us a bit about yourself and what we're going to be chatting about today sure hi everyone it's so great to be back two times I feel like I've made it I've hit the jackpot being invited <laughs> you have, back so you thank have. you for that So I'm the author of nine books, but two of them are relevant to you guys. The first one is Raising Girls Who Like Themselves, which I co-wrote with my husband, Dr. Christopher Scanlon, a couple of years ago. And then as soon as that book came out, people kept asking us, what about boys? What can I do so my boy can like himself? So Chris and I have just written and released Bringing Up Boys Who Like Themselves. How is it writing a book on raising boys when you don't have a boy? What research did you have to do to get into this? Yeah, so the depth of the research is the same, but the speed in which we did it was different. So Raising Girls Who Like Themselves was really a 10-year project for us. We started it 
when our first daughter was born and that was our goal for her and we didn't know how to raise a girl who would like herself because I grew up not liking myself and so over a 10-year period we did our own research and then the book was born from that but the book was never about us I mean we use our own examples in it but it was never just you know as Chris said this is not based on the anecdotes of two children yeah (laughs) yeah because that's not actually research (laughs) that's right so because we are writers and researchers and journalists we could access all the recent studies and look at the high quality ones we could call up the world's leading experts and ask them our questions and we did and so we did the same thing with boys but because people were waiting for the book we had to research much faster and write much faster than we normally do. Well, I'm really excited because this is a topic that Sophie and I have zero idea about. I mean, we don't have any boys between us and I feel really excited to give our audience this episode because a lot of the time we are talking about girls, we're talking about raising girls. So it's going to be interesting for us to get some insight about the differences of girls and boys. And similarly, what she said about when you brought out the book on raising girls who like themselves, there was an outcry for one for the boys. So if listeners haven't listened to our one, we did one with you on how we can raise girls who like themselves. And we were always planning on doing a boy one, but we've probably actually done it quicker than we expected because we just Mm. had so many boy mums and dads and grandparents saying, please, we need a boy's one. So if you have girls or even if you have young girls in your life, we do urge you to go back and listen to the Raising Girls Who Like Themselves podcast. But now today we are talking about raising boys who like themselves. And as you said, even though I have all nieces, I have all daughters, but I'm actually so excited because some of my best friends have young sons. I still want to know how I can do my bit to be as positive in these boys' lives as possible. Absolutely. And even if you just have girls, their lives are going to be affected by the boys and the men in their lives. So when we raise both boys and girls to like themselves, we all win. Absolutely. Now, we started the other episode in a similar way. It's 2023. We're being told boys can do whatever girls can do. Girls can do whatever boys can do. They can dress however they want. So why do we even need to be having a discussion on how to raise boys? Should we not just be raising them both the same? Look, what you say is beautiful. But I think it's also a wish list. What we found in our research was boys are not given the freedom to be whatever they want the way girls are. And if we look at it historically, for generations, girls have had mums, aunties, teachers. We have been fighting for girls' right to grow up and be anything that they want. That has not happened for boys. And we were really shocked in our research that very much so there is still only one way to be a boy and it is suffocating our boys. And so there are bubbles, but even in, you know, enlightened suburbs, we spoke to women who work in childcare and they told us stories of dads yelling at them for letting their boy wear a princess dress. A dad, again, who you would think would be more enlightened, wouldn't let his boy sit on a swing with another boy because he's not into dudes. Still, there is this myth that boys are naughty, like they're born naughty, Mm. so they need to be punished in order to grow up to be good people. We need to push them and drag them through their education because boys are lazy. 
And also the idea, we've, we think these negative things about boys, but at the same time, we then think we can just leave them to themselves. Like mm. there are so many programs and initiatives to help girls, to raise girls. But by contrast, there are so few about boys. So just one example, a friendship skills expert, we've heard it from three actually, they've said they can go into girls' schools every day of the week for the year, right? That, that's how many invitations they get to talk about friendship skills to girls. They can count on one hand the number of times they have been asked to talk to boys about friendship skills. Boys need to learn these skills just as much as girls. And it's, in fact, when you look at the statistics about the loneliness in young boys and the loneliness in men, and we know that loneliness is as deadly as cancer, these boys really need help with the skills. But we as a society still have the idea that boys can just sort it out themselves. So how can we raise boys that are empathetic and kind while still being resilient and strong? Yeah. Okay. I love that question. And the reason I love it so much is because when we started researching our book, because as you say, we didn't have boys, it wasn't what we were thinking about. We asked 15,000 parents what their biggest concerns were about raising boys. We said, give us your questions and your concerns and we will go and find the answers for you. And it was staggering how similar the questions and concerns were. And one of the biggest one was that it was this contrast and choice between kind, sweet, loving, and tough. And the idea that if they didn't toughen up their boys, I'd be weak. Mm. And so even in that question, there's still the idea that you have to make a choice between those two Mm. things. And what we found was that you don't have to choose between tough and weak. And the reason is weak is actually a consequence of tough. When you toughen up your boy, you are making him weak. When you toughen him up, you are robbing him of his resilience. You're robbing him of his emotional intelligence. And I'll just give you an example of how that works. So imagine a mobile phone screen, okay, the the tempered glass that's on the screen. So the way that that is made to be tough is that it is put under intense pressure when it's being made. And it's tough. And for most things, it is really tough. But then something comes out of left field, like you drop it at the wrong angle or you scratch it in your bag and it shatters. It is the toughness that makes it weak. And so when we raise boys to be tough, like to not show emotion, to not address their emotions and resolve it, to never apologize, we are raising them to be tough. And then life happens Mm. and they don't have the strength to deal with life. And this is when we get into boys avoiding things that are hard because we heard from so many parents, my boy's lazy. Boys are not born with a laziness gene. Very often they just don't have this emotional strength to cope with failure and to feel the difficult emotion of doing hard things. We also have boys, you know, who learn that they never apologize because they don't, real men don't make mistakes. But that's brittle, right? Because you cannot have a meaningful relationship with someone if you can't take responsibility for your actions. We all have a reason to apologize from time to time. So we need to help our boys develop the emotional strength to be able to do that. Toughness is also the idea that you only feel good about yourself when you are dominating or controlling someone else, right? I have to be the head of the household. Otherwise, Mm. I'm not a man, right? Well, how brittle is that? Because what happens when you're not dominating and you're not controlling? So by contrast, 
if you've got what we call strength of character, you can like yourself all the time because it's an internal resource. You don't need to denigrate or dominate someone else to feel good about yourself. So what we write about in our book, it's the second pillar. There's seven pillars again. And the second one is strength of character. And it is the idea of you don't need tough. You don't need weak. That's not the choice. Build your boy's character so he is strong enough to endure life's challenges, but also strong enough to reach his potential. In general, for girls and boys, is resilience actually something that needs to be taught or is the world in their eyes up and down enough that it's more how you support them through just everyday life that builds resilience rather than having to, you know, find hardships for them? Yeah, look, we don't need to go looking for hardship, but we need to step back and allow them to experience the natural hardships of life. And this is really hard for parents. You know, we are taught particularly that a good mum equals making the perfect childhood for your kid, right? Yeah. And it hurts us to see our children being hurt. So we rush in and we smooth the way so they don't feel pain. You know, if they're not invited to a birthday party, we want to call up the other kid's mum you know, so they don't have to feel it. If they're about Mm. to embarrass themselves, we'll rush in and try and say something or fix something. If they forget their lunchbox, we'll take it up to school. No kid ever died from not eating lunch one day, right? Or something that happens a lot is if they don't feel comfortable going to sports day, we say, okay, you can stay home, right? But every time we rush in, to do that, to sort their life out so they don't experience discomfort, we are doing two things. One, we are saying to them, you're not strong enough to cope. So we're Mm. robbing them of that self-belief, but we're also denying them the opportunity to develop resilience, but also develop hope. So if the research shows that the people who are most hopeful and optimistic in life are not the ones who have had the easy life. They are the ones who have experienced hardship because it is only through experiencing hardship that you learn to overcome it. God, I love that. So when they look at it, when experiences come at at them in life, they go, well, I can handle that because they've got a bank of evidence of past experience to know that they can. And the third part of that, which is particularly the case for boys, is that they need help in developing the strength to withstand their negative or difficult feelings. And we call that emotional bravery. Boys need help developing emotional bravery because a lot of their dads and the men around them grew up without that. And what I mean by that, they grew up with a real man doesn't do feelings. So what he does is avoid situations where he might feel something or repress it and then it bursts out of him later or he offloads his pain onto someone else because he's too brittle to carry it. We need to help our boys take ownership and manage their own uncomfortable feelings and that will give them courage, it will give them hope, and it will also set them up to have meaningful and lasting connections with other people. I totally get when our listeners who are boy mums got so much out of the girl episode because this episode already, like a few minutes in, when you said something about strength, like my daughter always struggles to get out of the car to go to school with anxiety, so I am walking her in. If I actually sat there and said, Mia, 
I believe that you're strong enough to do this. That is so empowering. I'm going to, I'm really going to try that. So thank you for coming on today. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll continue. Set it up ahead of time. So when she's going to bed, have that talk Mm. and you go, I've been thinking about this. You are strong enough to do that. I want to see you do that tomorrow. Love it. I feel like the term toxic masculinity is thrown around a lot. Can you tell us what that actually means and how can we break this cycle? For example, if we have a male partner who has come from that line of men that don't show their feelings, how can we break this cycle? Yes. Okay. So the first thing I want to say about masculinity is that it's not all bad, right? When we approached this book, it wasn't that we needed to throw out everything to do with masculinity and recreate it. We need to hold on to the good bits of it. And, you know, just a really obvious good bit of it, of old school masculinity, was we didn't care what men looked like. We cared about what they did and what they said. No one cared whether your dentist was hot or not, right? But now we see the Oral-B ads with Rob the dentist who's got a six-pack and he's flexing, right? So that's just one example of old-school masculinity. There's some good things to hold on to, right? But when we talk about toxic masculinity, there's some research being done and, and it's called the man box. And the idea is there's a set of values and beliefs that imprison boys and men within a box, right? And these values are things like a real man doesn't show his feelings. He's always stoic. A real man is always in control. A real man never walks away from a fight. A real man has to be a breadwinner. A real man has to be good at sport. The real man isn't a poof, you know, so there's real homophobia and all that awful connotations and all those awful words are also part of the man box. And boys are policed very heavily in the world to be in that man box. And there's nothing we can do about that as parents. When they go out into the world, when they go out into the playground, they are going to face that and they're going to be policed to be in the man box. But what the research shows, and this is really important for us as parents, is there is a difference between performing the values of the man box and believing the values of the man box. So there will be times when kids are in the playground and they're probably going to have to perform tough, for example. But if they actually don't believe it and they know that they don't have to be tough all the time, that is a protective factor because what the research shows is the boys who believe in the man box values are more likely to suffer from depression, anxiety. They have a higher rate of suicide. They're more likely to have an addiction, to binge drink, to be in a car accident, to do worse at school, to do worse in the workplace and to have poor relationships, right? Wow. So clinging on to those traditional toxic masculine values and believing that that's what you have to be is really, really bad for boys and men. And I think that's a really important thing for parents to understand because when we talk about toxic masculinity, we talk about how it's bad for women and bad for society. It is really bad for the boys and the men who are inside that man box. But as I said, it matters whether or not they believe them. And we get in first as their parents. We get to create those values and we also get to create our homes. So if they have to pretend to be tough out in the schoolyard, hopefully not often, but if they do, 
They know that they can walk through our front door. They can sit on the couch. They can tell you about their awful day. They can burst into tears and you will hug them and you will support them and they will be valued and loved for who they are in your home. How can we encourage confidence in a shyer, more quiet boy? Okay, one of the reasons that boys appear to not be confident is a fear of failure because they don't get very many role models who make mistakes or fail. I can't tell you how many mums have said to me, my husband or my father has never apologized once mm. right, in their whole life, which means their son has never seen a man apologize. All right. So if you grow up believing that you're not allowed to make a mistake, then you're not going to do things. You'd rather not try, not speak up than risk failing. So what we need to do with boys and girls, but particularly with boys because of the role modeling is to teach them that failure is a part of bravery. Failure is strength because it is the stepping stone on the way to success. Nobody who is successful in life doesn't fail. The successful people fail, they just get back up again and keep trying. And so that's one thing to do. So talk about failure as in normalize it, but also teach your kid to fail well. Well, it didn't work this time. What can you do next time to try something different so it will work? The men in your boy's life, get them to share stories of their own failure and their own struggles. Because to boys, these guys are heroes, right? And if dad can stuff up and be okay, well, then I can too. Okay, so that's failure. The second one is we need to create opportunities for our boys to develop the skills to do life. That's what makes a kid confident. And I'm not talking about having trophies and awards and medals and things like this. It's about having the skills to manage life, speaking for yourself. So whenever your kid can, let him speak for himself. When you go to the doctor, get your boy to give his name at the doctor's. When you walk into the school office to see if he's lost his jumper, get your boy to ask the receptionist, can I go and have a look in the lost property? That's a life skill. And the more you practice it, the more confident he's going to become. Get him to take responsibility for his own belongings. Get him to navigate space and get him to help around the house. So the research shows that little boys are just as willing as little girls to help. Little kids love to help, right? But then once boys start to get older, they stop helping. We had a boy tell us that kindness and helping was for chicks and losers. Now that's shocking, but he's articulating a belief that's in our society, right? So we need to encourage our boys to keep helping because by helping, they learn the skills to do life. They also feel like a worthwhile pe person. The people with the best mental health and well-being help other people. Mm. So continue to encourage your boy to help, but also make sure he understands how that makes him feel. So when he does help someone, point out to him, did that feel good when you helped that person? So he knows that it, when he helps someone, he's helping himself. So we talk a lot on this podcast about how as a mom or as a caregiver, the repair is more important than the rupture. So if you yell at your child, it's okay. You can repair that by apologizing, say that you made a mistake, say 
you know, that you would like to react in a different way next time. So if say that's the mother in the household doing that, and if there's, you know, if it's a mum and a dad and the father doesn't do that, can a young boy look at that situation and actually go, my mum is a woman she apologizes. My dad is a man. Mm. He doesn't. Like, are they able to actually comprehend that? Look, I just wish I had a magic wand to solve that problem because it comes up so many times. I just cannot tell you how many mums have contacted me and said, I can't get my husband on the same page. I'm trying really hard and he just won't. Or, you know, all the body image stuff. I don't talk about how my kids look, but my husband's constantly, you know, cracking jokes about other people's bodies. So we spoke to a lot of experts on this and because it's such a problem, right? Because, you know, sometimes you just can't convince or influence your partner to to change the way he interacts with the world and interacts with your child. But there's two things. One is you doing it is better than no one doing it, right? Mm. So you keep chipping away, you keep laying that foundation and hopefully it will be strong enough when your boy really needs it. But the other thing is, and this advice came from an early years educator with 40 years experience who has seen this and had this conversation as many times as I have, probably more about what can I do about my, my husband's role modeling to my son, is try to find somebody a male who will role model healthy masculinity, who will role model strength of character, who will role model apologizing. And so at least your boy can see it, see another option. And then as he gets older, you can start having conversations with how the other way doesn't work. It doesn't make daddy happy when he yells and breaks things. It doesn't make daddy happy when he says mean things about other people's bodies. So if you model the other way, if you try to become what the other role model is doing, then that's going to be better for you too. And what can we say with the grandparents? Grandparents, grandparents, different generation, (laughs) different kettle of fish here. But if they say things like, oh, boys don't cry or boys don't wear dresses, how do we go about telling them that's not what we want to hear? Yeah. So if you can and if you're brave enough and if your family dynamic allows it, have the conversation ahead of time. And we did that with the grandparents in our family. And we did it in a way as we need your help to raise our children to like themselves. And by doing that, become the ally. And what we mean by that is please stop doing this. Please stop doing that. Please stop doing this, right? So you get them on your team. Now, that's not always possible. And also those conversations don't always go well. It certainly did not go well with my mom. But I'm the parent. We as parents do control access to the grandparents and the kids. And I believe that it is serious enough to use that power that you have. So when my mom talks about toxic things in front of my girls, it's on Zoom and I shut it down. I'm not going to let that go into my girls' heads because grandparents are so influential. And so it's really really difficult, but our kids need us to be brave because it is really important. And if we want to break this cycle, if we want our boys to grow up happier and healthier and have better relationships than previous generations, we have to be brave enough to do something differently. Would it be 
a idea to if say you're at the dinner table and someone older says something that's inappropriate and it's already too late they've said something could you say to your child look that's grandma or grandpa's opinion but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true and it's it, it may not be yours is that a way that you can go around or get around you know an issue like that Absolutely. So in the moment, deflect and redirect, mm. right? So if they are going on about something that, that is not good for your boy to be listening to, try to change the subject. And then at a later time, and we have done this in our own family, you know, when your child is old enough, sit them down and talk about why holding that value is not good for other people, but also not good for them. It's hard, isn't it? Because I think at a young age, you think, oh, if someone that you really look up to is saying the wrong thing, or you're you're told that that's actually not the right thing to say, do you look at them as a bad person altogether? So it's really hard to make sure that they're, they're aware that they're a really good person, that they love you lots, but they just have a different way of thinking. Yep. Grandparents, it's a minefield because that relationship is so important which means that they can be so powerful Mm. in raising your child to like themselves if they abandon some of those toxic ideals. And I guess if it's safe, as you said, if it's safe to have the conversation, most of the time that generation aren't coming at it trying to be negative. They've often got the best intentions at heart. They just don't know any different. So I guess it's the same with so many conversations we have as adults you've got to almost give them the benefit of the doubt and know they can't do better without knowing. So maybe we're the one that just has to tell them. Yes, that's right. Or even just say, look, you don't have to agree with me, but can you just humor me and do it anyway? (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'm going to say that with so many things. (laughs) How can we break down the gender stereotypes? For example, boys don't like pink or can't wear pink or boys must like dinosaurs. By making your house a safe place for them to be who they are. Like our job as parents is not to decide for them who they are and what they like. We are responding to them. We are following their lead. So give them lots of opportunities to choose different things and to discover who they are. The other thing is, is, If your boy really is outside the definition of what traditional masculinity is, he's going to need you to fight even harder for him and be that much more supportive at home. So I did a fascinating interview with Sarah Kearns from Dad Mum, the Facebook sensations. And so she was talking about her oldest boy, Knox. And so when he was at Before he started school, both mum and dad were fully on board, supporting him, liking what he liked. He liked motocross, but he liked unicorns and he liked pink and he liked, he wanted to have his hair braided and things like that. So totally, you he had no idea about gender stereotypes. But then when he was about to go to school, his dad, Brad, became really worried about that because He, Brad's been a boy. He knows how tough it Mm. is out there, right? And we heard that a lot. So it's the dads who are actually forcing their boy into the man box because they're worried about the consequence of them not being in it. But what Sarah said, and this is absolute gold for every parent, is it's, yes, it is difficult to not be accepted outside the home, but it is so much worse not to be accepted 
inside the home. And so rather than trying to change your child, to chisel him away, to fit him into that man box, work on giving him strategies to deal with a world that is confronted by who he is. And so strategies like a quick comeback. When people say, pink's a girl color, get into role play. Well, pink's color for everyone and I like pink. You know, Mm. unicorns are just for girls. Why? You know, so help him with responses and support him even more because your force has to be equal or greater to the force outside of the home and to have his back so he can know that he is loved and worthy and respected exactly who he is and how he is. So do we get in before anyone said anything? Like if someone said, you know, my son never wants to get a haircut and wants to go grow it really long. How do I navigate this? Do we have to get in there before anyone said something or do we wait until someone said something? It's probably a bit of both. I mean, Things people say things all the time. I'm sure, I'm sure that boy has had someone comment in Coles about the length mm, of his hair. Always Coles or Woolies. <laughs> always yeah. the aisles. But I mean, the same rule that we have for girls also applies for boys. If it's not permanent and it's not harmful, he gets to decide. I actually had that my eldest. I said the other day, do you think it's time that we get you a little bit of a trim? And I and I took away what you said last time because she said, no, I don't want a haircut. And I said, that's fine. It's your hair. It's your decision. If it was my choice, I would like to give you a little bit of a haircut. But at the end of the day, it's your hair. And she turned around and she said, yeah, it's my hair. It's my choice. And I said, okay, great. Like we've had that discussion. I said, it'll make it easier for you to see if we just trim it at the front. But if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And I was like, wow, that was so much easier than the mental space I'd let it give me before we'd had that chat. I did the same thing last week and I went a little bit further and I'm like, it's so fine. But if you can look in the mirror and just see those tiny, tiny ends, that's what's getting knotty. So if you don't want really knotty hair, we could just get like that much off. Anyway, two out of three lined up, had a haircut. (laughs) Yumi, I like my curls. I'm growing them out. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. You both get gold stars. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it's not what this is about, but thank you very much. Yes, we'll take them. We'll take them. <laughs> but, no, but what it does is is it illustrates that these are tiny parenting tweaks, right? Mm. It's not a huge intervention. In fact, it actually takes less time because you don't have to have that fight anymore. But yet the change that it gives to your daughter is huge because think about that. Add 10 years to her age and someone's telling her she has to do something with her body And she already knows now, no, it's my body, my choice. You taught her that. What if they have nits? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that comes into it's harmful. Yeah. 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 It actually does. Not that we should be making these choices to make our lives easier, but it does make life so much easier. Poppy turned around this morning and said, I want to wear this costume to daycare. And normally I'd have these things about, oh, we don't wear costumes to daycare. They're just for home. And I just went all right, if that's what you want to wear, you can wear yeah. it. And then she was out the door happily nice heading off and though? I was like, oh, why the hell do I even care if she's wearing a costume? Yeah. It was so much easier. How do we respond if we're in Coles, we're in Woolworths, we're in whatever aisle we're in and someone calls our boy a girl because they have long hair or they like to wear a tutu? Do we even correct them or what should we say? Oh, well, try to use humour. Humor is a really powerful tool, particularly with boys, right? You know, maybe they need some glasses, something like that. 
And it also depends on your boy's response. If he doesn't care about it, well, then don't care about Mm. it. But if he does get upset, that's when you have the conversation about you do you. You know who you want to be and what you want to be is beautiful and worthy and I love that. Don't let somebody else take that power away from you. Is the mummy's boy title unhelpful? Ah, uh, okay. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Big sigh. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Labels like that are not helpful, right? And there's so many of them and they're all attacking mothers, aren't they really? Yeah. yeah. Hang on a minute. Exactly. It's, mothers are always in the firing line for criticism. But something to be aware of, and we've already talked about this, is our job as parents is not to create perfect, hassle-free, always joyful childhoods. Our job is to raise our children to be functioning adults who don't need us. Hallelujah. And part of that is letting boys do life. They've got to look after themselves. They've got to experience their own emotions. They've got to take responsibility for their feelings. And if you look at the stats, boys do get an easier ride at home than girls, even in families that believe that they are gender neutral, the girls are doing more housework, the boys are being protected from things. Um, So yeah, I think we can all step back and know that when you allow your boy to experience hardship, you are actually creating an opportunity for him to learn life skills and develop hope. So you said before that it's more harmful for boys to believe the man box rather than act out the man box. So Mm -hmm. what about the quote unquote locker room chat, you know, boys will be boys saying things negatively, whether that be about girls, whatever. So do we let them go along with that? Or should we raise them to know that that kind of chat is actually harmful, even if there's not an action involved in it? Yeah. Okay. I definitely, they need to know that that's harmful for their own benefit. Like it's not great for girls, But if they want to have a relationship with half the population, any one of those half the population, you cannot treat girls as objects and the punchline of jokes, right? So for his own sake, you need to correct that belief. Now, in an ideal world, and there will be cases when this is appropriate, he can stand up and shut down that talk, but there's going to be times when it's not. And he always has the opportunity to not participate. Yeah. But participating and contributing to something that's so toxic for all boys and for all women is something that we really should be discouraging. So how do you tell your child that just because someone is powerful but they're saying something wrong and you know it's wrong, how do you get them to understand or have the tools to stand up for themselves and say, actually, that's not right? Okay, you do it through practice at home. So there is a dynamic there, right? And so there's not one answer because in some situations, standing up for someone else could mean you get punched in the face, right? Mm -hmm. That's the reality of what we're dealing with. So it's a judgment call. If you can stand up for them, then you practice what you might say. And so we had this conversation just the other day with my daughter, you know, things going on around her in her class. And when it's appropriate, you can say, that's not cool. Or will you let her speak or something like that? Yeah. But you workshop that at home. So in the heat of the moment, they'll be able to say something that they feel comfortable saying. They can say it with confidence and therefore they're more likely to say it. But it's also 
we have to be careful to not make kids responsible for the bad behavior of Mm. other kids Mm -hmm. as well. So sometimes maybe it would be more productive to walk away from the conversation or just to not give any more to it. That's right. And give your friendship to the person who's the target. Yeah. Mm. Now, how do we know when to intervene with rough play? We had quite a lot of mums write in saying, I grew up with only sisters and now Mm. I have two (laughs) boys and I just don't know what's normal, when I should be stepping in. Help. (laughs) (laughs) So the rough play, I mean, rough and tumble play is really important and it should be encouraged. And often girls... When left to their own devices, if they haven't been raised to be little ladies, they will do that too, right? That's what kids do and it's fine. But the rule is, and it's rough and tumble play, but it's also pranking, which is also an issue in boys' friendship, is that everybody has to be willing to participate and be enjoying it. Mm. So if it's rough and tumble play where the one kid is always the one getting hurt and there's a perpetrator and a victim, then that's different. Or if you're teasing someone and the kid who's butt of the joke is not enjoying it, then that's not okay. But if it's reciprocated and everyone's willing to do it, then Mm. that's play. So do we go in and we go, okay, can we all just make sure, John, are you happy? Ben, you're good? All right. Or do you just observe from the outside? And I guess if you're in your own home, you kind of have a good idea over time because there's plenty of them (laughs) that you can get a grasp of what is going on. Well, you empower your boys to stand up for themselves. Teach them both the lines, stop it, I don't like it, and get them to say it in a really strong, powerful voice. Put a hand up like a stop sign, stop it, I don't like it. And so our job as parents is then to make sure that the other person understands that and respects it and and understands consent. And so then they can manage it themselves. You play as much as you like unless someone says, stop it, I don't like it. Because I find the teasing and the name calling even hard with my girls because we have jokes at home where we'll call each other names and everyone's having a really fun time. I mean, none of them are like particularly oh, yeah. nasty. It might be literally like <laughs> bum head. Um, but I am conscious of the fact that if they went to daycare and called someone whatever out of the blue, it could be really upsetting for them. So I guess it's just important to say, you know, it's it's only fun and a joke if everyone playing is finding it fun and a joke. That's right. So that's one thing. The second one is we have just a tip for your house. It sounds a bit like ours. We have in the house words and mm. out of the house words. Mm. Oh, I love that. Can fuck be one of them? Or is Ooh, that... Yes. Yeah. Actually, so we let our girls swear. Mm. And the reason we let our girls swear is because swearing is part of language and you need to learn how to use it well. Fucking oh. And when you look at <laughs> most situations when people are swearing, they are not swearing for disrespect. They're swearing for humour. They're swearing for an exclamation. They're, they're swearing to for stubbing their toe. Exactly. So in our family, we don't allow disrespect which is very different from not allowing swearing. Mm. And so, yeah, we tell our girls these are inside the house words, 
But some adults don't like it when kids talk like that. So we don't use it outside the house. So my dad actually used to take me out on his boat. And every time we went out on the boat, he'd have this rule. While we're fishing, Jade, you are allowed to swear. This is our thing. So I felt so... You wanted to fish seven days a week. Yeah, I was like getting a flathead and I'm like... Fuck. And I really loved it. And then I come home and I was like, because he was like, it's just our secret. That's what we do on the boat. And it was, it was a real special thing. And I knew not to say it at home or anywhere else. But there I knew that I was safe and I was allowed to say it. Well, Nick and I have always found it such a weird thing because we think, they're just words. Like, why do we say kids can't say them, but adults are allowed to say them? And we'd come up with this thing that when you get to a certain age, you get your swearing license and then you're allowed <laughs> to swear. So Poppy will watch, for example, Gabby's dollhouse and she'll go, is she old enough to have her swearing <laughs> license? But I quite like the in the house and out the house thing because it's there's easier. sometimes nothing cuter than like, a three or four-year-old using a swear word correctly in context. I fucking love it. (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, all these parents who have rules about their kids not swearing, they are swearing. They're just not doing it when you're around. Yeah. So wouldn't it be better since let's accept that kids swear, let's Mm -hmm. teach them to swear properly and to use Mm. it for the right reasons and not use it for disrespect. Yeah. If they constantly play games about fighting and shooting with guns, should we stop this? Look, the research shows that we do not need to be worried about shooting games. I'm not talking about Grand Theft Auto and games like that. So games that are racist and misogynistic, yes, they are problematic, those values. But kids playing with guns, if you take the gun away from the kid, you are making it more and more enticing. Yeah. And I interviewed a mother. She hated guns, took them all away, no guns allowed in her house, and her boy nibbled away at his toast and made a gun and he was (laughs) shooting with it. Oh, my God. He then, when it was his birthday, he told all his friends that for his presents he wanted a gun. Oh, my God. And so I said to the mother, just allow guns in your house. And then once she did, it was completely demystified. Mm. But again, when if you are open about that kind of play, you can put rules around it. We use guns because we're the heroes and we protect people. We don't do it to hurt. We don't do it to exploit. And I guess we only do it if everyone's enjoying the game. Exactly. But there is no evidence to say that playing with guns makes kids violent. So you touched on this before. Boys are generally seen as more energetic, more destructive within the home. Is that true? Are they more energetic than young girls? (laughs) Yes. And why is that? And why are they stronger? Well, so it's really interesting that when you look at the brain science, that most of what we think is hardwiring is complete rubbish. Like Mm -hmm. when you actually dig deep into the study, because we know that brains are plastic and you can rewire a brain in three months, right? The reason boys behave differently to girls is that from the moment they've taken their first breath, they have been encouraged to act differently to girls. They've been encouraged to play like that. It's something that's valued. Whereas girls have been encouraged to sit quietly, to color in, to use their language. Like we know that parents talk more to little girls than little boys. So obviously girls are going to have highly more developed language skills than boys. 
We know that parents use more emotive, gentle words with girls. We know boys get more rough and tumble, rev them up kind of language, which also affects their behavior. So the girls and boys do behave differently, but it's because we treat them differently. So can I just ask, and I don't know how this is going to come out, but because we're all about being equal, if we ended up really working on this and we started to have equal sex in football games, do you genuinely think that a woman can be as strong in terms of physical strength than a man? No, no, no. So once we go through puberty, our bodies change, right? We get childbearing fat and the boys get muscles. So no, there are definite differences in the physicality. But to start off with, with babies and toddlers, they are blank canvases that that society influences. And it's not like a boy is more coordinated. It just might be that they were given a soccer ball for their first birthday and a girl was given a teacup set. Absolutely. There's an amazing study by the BBC where they got two toddlers, a boy and a girl, and they switched their genders. And then they got, so they dressed the boy as a girl and the girl as a boy. And then they got people who considered themselves gender neutral to come and play with them. And so the boy who was dressed as a girl was given dolls, lots of talking, lots of nurturing. And the girl who was dressed as a boy was given balls, trucks, Lego, right? So Men have better spatial awareness than women. It's because they have been given spatial awareness toys their whole life to play with and they've developed those skills. And girls have been given dolls and kitchens and glitter. See, I always thought that they boys gravitate towards trucks and trains, but I guess it's what we put on the TV, what we get as birthday gifts, what gets put in front of them is the choice that they have. That's right. And it's what we value. Kids want attention. They want validation. So they're going to do the things that gets them that kind of feedback. Yeah, because sometimes I feel like I've failed as a mum because my five-year-old is literally every girl gender stereotype you can think of. Like her fifth birthday was she wanted a purple and pink unicorn sparkly birthday cake. And sometimes I just think, I thought I was more evolved than this. Should I be hard on myself? No, No, because there's nothing wrong with that. Because inherent in your statement, you are saying that boy things are better than girl things. They're not. There's nothing wrong with the feminine. It's just letting the child choose what they want. And so we make that mistake, you know, we cheer when a girl plays with trucks and she's a tomboy, but when a boy plays with the purple sparkling unicorn and put on fairy wings, we go, ooh, because inherent in that assumption is that the masculine is superior to the feminine, and it's not. And so how else do we ensure that our boys don't grow up thinking that girls are inferior to them? Mm -hmm. We need to very intentionally deprogram that. Mm. Because if you don't, as a parent, teach them that, they will grow up feeling that boys are superior because it is everywhere in our culture. If you can't run very fast, you run like a girl. If you can't throw very fast, you throw like a girl. Research shows that at the age of six, boys think they're superior and smarter to girls. So we need to deprogram that by giving them stories about girls. See, as parents, Mm. we do this. I did it too. And then I was shocked to think about it. I would only buy a book for a boy that was about a boy. Why? Mm. 
my girls' bookshelves are full of Harry Potter, hmm. Geronimo Stilton, Dogman, right? We give girls stories about boys, but we don't give boys stories about girls. Why? Because we're telling them that they don't need to be interested in girls. So get your boys reading stories about girls. Get them seeing movies with female protagonists. Point out women in leadership roles. Model equality in your own home. If you do not do that, your boy will grow up thinking he's superior and that will affect his relationship with women. I love that when you said that you you start within your house because I have a nephew and he's the only boy that we have other than my husband. And whenever he comes over with his sister and a room full of all my daughters, it's playtime. And he gets right in there with hair clips. He loves putting on the dresses and we just watch them and they have the time of their lives. We don't mention anything because there's nothing to mention. And it is really beautiful that he feels in a safe place where he can wear and do whatever he likes. So I guess that, you know, maybe he wouldn't feel comfortable if he was at daycare. Maybe he would, I'm not sure. But I think as long as he has those options, not even just at his house, when he comes to auntie's house, that that's okay. Then we are almost extending that out a little bit. Absolutely. You're creating the village that he needs to grow up and explore his own identity and just be himself. If you're in a household, someone wrote in, they've got three kids, two boys and one girl. The boys are super rough in their play and the girl isn't necessarily. How can we encourage them not to hurt the girl but without it coming across as boys are strong and girls are weak? I would take the gender out of that. You don't hurt anyone. If she doesn't Mm, want to play, if she says stop it, I don't like it, then it's a lesson in consent. Yeah, that's pretty simple. (laughs) <laughs> but that, that's the thing though, isn't it? This whole yeah. thing, like whenever you hear something or the answer, you're like, wow, even what you were saying before with Poppy and her hair, you're like, gosh, that was, now that I've got the tools, that that's was actually so a really easy. easy thing to do where it was usually quite hard. Yeah. What's the go with boys touching their penises constantly and <laughs> is that okay? Yeah. Look, this is the same with penises and clitorises, right? Yeah. They feel good when you touch them, right? So they're going to want to touch them. But it it's a time and a place rule. Kids are good with time and place rules. They know, like we said, the swearing, you know, inside the house, outside the house, loud voices. You can have them outside. You don't bring your outside voice inside. You can touch your penis when you're on your own and then extend that conversation to nobody else is allowed to touch your penis except mm. a doctor. But even then I need to be there. Yeah. And it's just, there's no embarrassment. When you talk about body parts and sexual things to a kid at that age, it's just information. So if he's sitting on the couch touching your penis, his penis, go, hey, buddy, we do that in our room. That's it. Do boys do that a lot more than young girls do or do we just only talk about the no, boys? No, I feel like they would because they're dangling out. Yeah. Is that right? And like they they're there things. to dangle. They change shape. But I do feel like... Maybe we let boys get away with doing that more than we would allow a little girl. Sure. Like there is no question that girls are brought up with more shame around their bodies than boys. I mean, just take farting, for example. Yes. Like for a boy, there is nothing funnier than farting, but for a girl, there's nothing more shameful, right? But yet it's the same natural, normal bodily function. 
And my husband can stand at the dinner table talking to me and his mother-in-law with his head, like itching his balls in his <laughs> pants and farting. And I'm like, could you imagine if my mum stood up and just started <laughs> yeah. doing that? Yeah. So we definitely police girls' bodies more than boys. There's no question. I've got a solution. You just ask Harry to stop doing that as well rather than encouraging your <laughs> mum to do it. <laughs> I don't think yeah, she would. Yeah. When should we chat to our sons about porn and what should we say about it? Okay. That I'm really glad you asked that question because parents think the avalanche of porn is somewhere off in the future. It is not. It's here. At any moment, your kid can click on the wrong thing and see it, okay? Now, we need to do everything we can to minimise the chances of happening that happening, so putting on parental controls and being around, but it can still happen. He can be at a friend's house. So have natural and normal conversations just in family life. So, for example, if your boy's getting ready for a bath and he's running around naked, you can say, it's fine to be naked inside the house. Run, go for your life. But we're not naked at other people's houses. And if other people come over, we're not naked. And if you ever see any naked people on the screen, just let me know. You're not in trouble. Just let me know. And that's it. And because we heard stories of boys being so worried when they see porn. Mm. This one little boy, he saw porn and he came to his mother distraught because he thought he was going to go to jail because he learned that porn was really bad. He thought he was really bad and he came so upset. For every boy that comes to their mother, there's going to be 10 of them who don't. So your kid's going to see it. And so you, the idea is not to have the talk about porn. It is to open the door for that conversation so it can happen whenever you need it to happen. So we recommend putting puberty books on your bookshelf straight away. When your kids ask about it, just talk about it as if it's information. Make yourself the go-to person because if it's not you, it's going to be someone else, right? And so you can have those conversations as they come up in daily life. And what about when they reach the age that they choose to watch porn? We want them to know surely that that's acting, that's yep. not how real sex necessarily mm. looks. Is porn having as detrimental effect on young people's sex life as it's made out to have? Yeah, so it's about the quality of the porn, if you can talk yeah. about that. You know, porn can No, there's healthy. definitely different qualities. <laughs> Which ones are your favourite, Sophie? Ones made by women, not made by <laughs> men. Well, too yeah. much. Yeah. Because, again, that conversation isn't even about sex. It's about domination and control yeah. and humiliation. And those are conversations that need to be had. I spoke to a, interviewed a, a nurse who goes into schools to do sex ed talks. And we were talking about oral sex. And it is very common for girls in grade eight and nine to be giving blowjobs. And when I spoke to these girls and asked them, why are you doing it? They say, because that's what girls do. And it's like, do you like it? No. But that's what's expected because they've seen it on porn. That's what girls do. And Girls love it when they do non-porn. So they're pretending, they're role-playing. But the thing is, so are the boys. So the maternal health nurse said, the boys don't want to be doing it either. Like when they're 13 and 14, it's yeah. gross for them, right? 
but they're doing it because they've seen it on porn and nobody has told them that they don't have to do that. And if you don't have that conversation with your daughter and with your son, they will grow up thinking at 14, that's what they're supposed to do. With these conversations, someone said, if there's a dad in the family, is it best to leave these conversations up to the dad to have with the son or should any parent be having these conversations with the son? Yeah. So leaving it up to the dad turns it into the conversation, the chat where everyone's Mm. awkward and embarrassed. It just comes up and you take the opportunity when it comes up. The other day we were in the car and we were talking about with my nine-year-old, she was asking me about how kittens were born. And so I talked about the process and then talked about how babies were born yes. because she's IVF. She thinks that babies get made in Petri dishes in hospital. Well, some do. Exactly. Well, she Jeez. did. Um, but so I just said, you know, so the penis goes in the vagina and then that sperm fertilizes the egg and then the egg grows into a fetus and then the fetus gets born as a baby. She went, okay. That's it. You should have heard me talk to Yumi about the pigeons we were seeing having sex on the roof of the house. I was like, look at those little feathers. See what's going to happen. She's like, and then what happens? I'm like, I actually don't know. I need to Google it. (laughs) No idea. But did have a penis. And I think also leaving it up to only between like a man and a boy to talk about makes it seem like even more so that sex is just for men. Whereas if it's you know, the mum and the boy having the conversation, then it can be understood that it actually should be for everyone to enjoy, not just the men in the situation. Yes. And if a boy is not explicitly told that sex is for female pleasure as well, he won't know because there is nothing in our society that tells him that women enjoy sex and have a right to enjoy sex. Sex is a transaction that women give to men for attention, love, vapes, That's the message they'll get unless you give him a different one. And how can we ensure that our boys understand the importance of consent? By always making that an important part of family life. And you can start that with tickling. Like tickling is one of the first examples Mm. that we teach to kids that you can be overpowered by someone bigger than you and it's funny. So if you're playing a rough and tumble game and you're tickling someone and someone and your boy says stop, you stop straight away and you say to him, I'm stopping because you told me to. Yeah. So you always make it part of the family. I mean, you also do it with pets. You know, my daughter was picking up our cat the other day and she was meowing and it was like, no, she's not consenting for you to treat her like that. She's very clearly telling you, She doesn't want you to do it. It's not about what you want. It's about what she wants to. And she's saying she doesn't want that. Yeah. And then that discussion just evolves as they get closer to, I guess, a sexual age. That's right. Because surely then we explicitly have to talk about it to do with sex. It can't just be about tickling. Yes. And I think kids are actually starting to learn that because it is starting to creep into our culture that you ask someone first before you do something to them, you know, in in a sexual way before you kiss or or whatever. It's respect. And if the boy has been raised to actually respect women and treat them as equals, then it's not a big leap, is it? No, no, it shouldn't be. And just to finish off, can we talk about screens and video games? Great question. I'm so glad you asked that because it comes up a lot. And Chris and I have quite a controversial opinion on screens. 
but it is one that is research-based. We have spent a lot of time trawling through what the actual research says beyond the headlines and the fear-mongering and the pearl-clutching, okay? What it says is that screens are not harmful to your boy or your girl in themselves. If your boy is doing everything that he needs to do, if he's going to school, if he's playing outside sometimes, if he's eating well, if he's interacting with people in real life, there is nothing wrong with him playing on screens. In fact, it can even be beneficial, particularly for boys. So we know that the way girls and women interact is they sit down face-to-face, make eye contact and have a meaningful conversation, right? That's how they interact. Boys and men rarely interact like that. If they're going to have a deep and meaningful connection with someone, it is much easier for them to do that while they're doing something else, Mm. such as playing a computer game. And so your boy playing computer games is most likely fundamental to his friendship because that's how he connects with his friends. But also if he's not playing the games that his mates are playing, when he goes to school the next day, he is left out. And the research also shows that play on screen, real play, where kids are controlling what they're doing, being creative, making their own decisions, negotiating with other kids is just as beneficial to the boy's brain as it is play outside and off a screen, except of course, obviously the fresh air and the exercise, (laughs) but that can happen at another time, right? Being on a screen is actually something that is good for our boys. So we don't need to feel bad about it if you're making it safe. Now, something that parents say to us a lot is, but when my boy's on the screen, I can't get him off and he gets really yeah. angry. Yeah. Mm. And they think that it's the screen that's making the boy angry, but it's not. It's us not respecting the boy's play. And let me give you an example. If your boy is playing basketball and he's in the middle of a game and you go, okay, basketball time's over now the way we do with screens. You know, we go screen time's over now, off you get. Imagine if you did that with a basketball match and you walked onto the the court and you went, come on, buddy, time to go. (laughs) He'd be angry at you, right? Not only are you interrupting him in the middle of his game, he's letting his teammates down. He's disappointing his coach, right? So he would react badly, but we wouldn't do that because we understand it and we respect it. If Hmm. we understand and respect screens, as, as being just as important to our boys' play, we will interact differently with them. We'll say to him, you've got to get off sometime in the next 20 minutes, so finish up. Because it can be hard with games nowadays, though, because I feel like none of them have a start and an end. No, they don't. Whereas at least often with basketball, for example, it's there's a siren that's going to go off or, or, or whatever. And that's the thing I find so hard is I find the TV is way easier than an iPad because the TV is like at the end of this episode, we are turning this off. Whereas the iPad is maybe a game that's never ending. But they can, with practice, they can get to a point where they can leave it. So, you know, if you're playing Minecraft and you just leave, then you lose everything you've been doing for the last 20 minutes, right? But if you give them time to secure what they've done or finish the battle with their friends, then they can leave without feeling like they've lost all their work or they've let their friends down. 
So after your episode on raising girls, my husband and I sat down and we spoke about the online roadblocks because my daughter really wanted to give it a go because she said at school she didn't feel included in conversation, which gets back to this is their norm, this is their reality, we probably should get on board. We made a safe place, we made sure that they do it in an open area so we can hear, we sort of understand what's going on and I love the metaphor, you wouldn't leave your kid in a shopping center for two hours and come back. You want to understand what they're doing, what's going on. So we've been doing that. However, my husband will say 10 more minutes, five more minutes, and no matter what, there is an outrage. And his reaction is, that's it, no iPad, the iPad's bad, this is the reaction because of that, so we're not doing that. Whereas I know from what you were saying before, that was probably not the right way because now we're making the iPad the issue. How do we go about this? Okay. So, I mean, this is the same question as how do you get your kid to leave the park, right? So it's not a screen question. It's a finishing play question. Okay. Jocelyn Brewer, who is a psychologist who specializes in kids and digital technology, suggests getting a hourglass, a big one. Mm, And so it's really visual to the kids. And you say, you're going to have to get off sometime before all the sand goes through the hourglass. And it's very visual to see that they've got to get off. And then a quiet conversation later saying, I'm really happy for you to play Roblox, but if you're going to keep playing, you're going to have to get off before the the sand goes through the hourglass. That's just Mm. the rule. So let's work together on this so you can keep playing. Yeah, because often I'll set a timer on my phone, but time like I've got a five and a three-year-old. Time is so arbitrary to them. And sometimes I'll say, okay, sure, you can have seven minutes. And I set the timer for like two minutes because I know they don't actually understand. But the the a timer that they can actually see means that they would understand it so much more because no matter how much time I say there's left, it always catches up on them because they don't understand and time. And even at a young age, they yeah. don't have to tell the time. And I actually heard a really great metaphor that someone said, how would you feel if you were sitting there reading a book and you were like halfway through a chapter and someone literally just walked mm. up to you and yoinked the book out of your hand? Be furious. You're an adult and that would still be so infuriating. So every time I do it, I do try and remember that. I'm like, imagine if you were at a juicy part of your book and someone just walked in and took it out of your hands. That's right. And so we need the same level of respect, but also the same flexibility with a screen. You know, the other night it was bedtime and my daughter said, but I've got three pages left of my book. And I was like, well, of course you can finish that. Yeah. Why, why are we not flexible with screens? Why not? Because we're scared of them. Yeah. Yeah. And as you said, and we, we don't understand them. Whereas when you said those things about in, what is it, Minecraft about banking or whatever where it says if you can turn around to your child and say that's okay get to the point where you secure all your assets secure yep. they would be like that's so cool that you know yeah whereas we do we belittle it and we're like oh this little game that you play and that's that's not fair because it's something they enjoy yeah look I think I hate computer games like for me they're just pixels <laughs> like who cares like whether or not but that's your choice exactly But we gave screens to our children and now we get angry with them when they use them. Well said. Well, any last little words of wisdom to our boy parents out there before we go? I think something else that is harming our boys is shame. There is an old school myth that boys need to be shamed 
in order to do the right Mm. thing. Nothing good comes out of shaming your boy. So when you are disciplining him, when you are teaching him how to be a good person, treat it as a learning opportunity. You need to help him rather than harm him. Because what the research shows is the parents who punish the most are always punishing the most. And there's a running joke in my peer group as, you know, they've run out of devices to confiscate, right? So if you punish in a way that is inflicting pain, whether it be emotional or physical, in the hope that he'll do the right thing next time, you are not building your boy's strength of character. You are not raising him to like himself. Approach discipline as an opportunity to, that didn't work out well, buddy. Let's talk about what was wrong with that and what you can do next time empower him and focus on his next choice and to make a good choice and feel good about himself rather than keeping him stuck in shame. Wow. And also, I guess from that, instead of the whole naughty boy, bad boy thing, it's that it was a bad behavior, not a bad child. That's right. And very often a bad behavior is just because They can't do the right thing in that moment, whether Mm. it be they don't know yet because they're still learning how the world works or they're overtired or they're full of sugar or they haven't learned to regulate their emotions. All of these are opportunities for them to learn to be better next time rather than to punish them and shame them. Well, thank you so, so much once again for coming on and chatting with us. I now agree with all the boy parents out there who got something out of the girl episode. I feel like I've got just as much out of this episode as I did the girl one, even though I've got three girls. So thank you so much for all the work you do. And yeah, the way you present it makes it exciting to do better rather than feel guilty about the way we have been doing things. Thank you. It's such a delight to talk to you. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.